Welcome, Charlotte. Um, and thank you for joining us on another episode of On the Steps of 36, uh, a podcast of the Architectural Association. Um, so we're going to go through a series of questions. Um, some are rapid fire and some uh, a little bit more in depth. Um, so we'll start with number one. Uh, what is your full name? Uh, my full name is uh, Charlotte Malterbart. Actually, full name and Charlotte Malterbart. So question number two. Did you ever have a nickname or do you still use one? I do. Shagada. Shagada. Can you explain? Um, no. No. Okay. <laughs> so the next series of questions are about your childhood. Um, question number three. Where did you grow up? I grew up mostly in Marseille, France. Marseille. And do you go back there often? Or? Yeah, yes. I do. Family still there? Some family still there, yeah. but a lot of friends too. Okay. Yeah. Question number four. Uh, what was the typology of the home that you grew up in? Um, a flat in a, flat. Uh, in, a, in a building in, in the city. Okay. How many stories? Um, uh, eight. Eight. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And in this flat, um, how many of of you of your family uh, live together in the, in the? So three, then two. Three, then two. Okay. So parents and you. Yeah. Okay. Um, and question number six: uh, Did you have a favorite toy as a child? I did. So I had a treehouse that I really liked. Uh, plastic okay. treehouse, uh, which would close, so you could just like um, take it with you. Very nice toy. I still have it. My son plays with it sometimes. Okay. Yeah. Very nice. So hand it down. Yeah. Nice. Um, question number seven. Um, were there any foods that you refused to eat as a child? Yeah, brain. Brain. Gross. Yes. Won't eat that. No. Still? Mm, won't eat. No, I'm, I'm, now I'm vegetarian. Okay. But there might be a link. Okay. Causalities. <laughs> and, and was it a common thing to be served brain? I think my mother thought it would be beneficial to my development okay. or something like that. So it was sort of a delicacy that would... Absolutely gross. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't sound very good no. at all. Mm -mm. Um, and the final question of this group, um, what was your most memorable holiday before you left home? Mm, so I went with my parents to Disneyland Anaheim when I was 12, um, and that remained a very fond memory. Um, yeah. I had other holidays, but this one was very special. Okay. It's quite a distance to travel for, for Disneyland, no? Yeah, but, you yeah. know, I mean, we did spend some time in California right. and all that, but right. yeah, it was really nice. And have you ever been to um, Epcot and Orlando? No, oh. unfortunately. And have you taken your son to, to Anaheim? No, we no. went to Six Flags instead. Okay, much better, <laughs> more, more exciting. More fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, the next group of questions um, is about your work. Um, question number nine, uh, how would you describe what you do? I would say I do a critical spatial practice. So I, I do architecture, but I like to push the discipline further to this understanding of critical spatial practice. Okay. And and you're educated as an architect? I am. Yes. Yeah. And so when did you start maybe branching off to the critical spatial practice and um, so, I mean, I did an additional education as an urban designer, um, and then I got a PhD. And I think uh, I, I've always been kind of suspicious about these boundaries um, of the practice, also because the education of architecture is so much broader than what it then leads you to do. Um, so, I would say 
after the PhD very clearly or in between the PhD I already kind of started to um, to, 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 to to push these boundaries and think about what does it mean to be a um, spatial practitioner okay and is that where Omnibus emerged or did that come before your PhD no the Omnibus emerged in 2009 so it was uh, before the PhD so okay. in a way kind of uh, a need to um, to have kind of an intellectual practice aside from you know being an employee in an office where things would be a bit more dull, mm. I guess. Um, so yeah, that, I, I think 2009 is a good. So it's pre pre PhD, in fact. Okay, mm. right. I think that's yeah, it's quite good um, to discuss this. And many of our students are look for different forms of practice uh, and develop that in, in their work. Um, and so it's always good to have these these models available to them. Uh, question number 10, uh, did you always know uh, what you would end up doing uh, when you were a child? Was this sort of your vision um, to be an architect or? I, I don't, I can't remember thinking to myself, oh, I want to be an architect. I did draw a lot of plans as a child, so right. maybe there is, there was something there, but um, it was never a kind of a clear path. And also later on, I would say even to kind of reflect upon my current um, path, uh, I, I could see that there was um, something I refer to as subterranean re rivers of interest. Okay. So there would be things I was interested in right after graduating and that somehow disappeared and then reemerged. Hmm. So a kind of more meandrous uh, path, not not very strategic or calculative, but maybe intuitive and also um, confident that somehow things would fall into place, which... Right. They did. That's good. Yeah. yeah. So no five, ten year plan that you mapped. No, out. no. no yeah. That's like yeah. I. Life is short. Yes. Like I, I yeah. think these things. That's not how I work. No. I, I don't work like. It's one. too restrictive yes. that way. Yes. Um, question number eleven. What tools do you work with? So I work with everything. I would say, like, of course, the tools of the architect. So let's say drawings, uh, any kind of like representation or like three D, whatever we learn or we have learned but expand that to then the potentially more academic uh, tool sets, which is, of course, writing, publication books and things like that, but also uh, really trying to see what are the um, tools that we have at our disposal that um, can reach larger audience. Uh, so, for instance, graphic novels, I collaborate with uh, illustrators to, um, to, to try new formats. Um, and then, of course, social media provocations, uh, pamphlets, uh, things like that. I also worked in the past with fanzine and things like that. So, uh, well, you know, really whatever is available uh, can be useful. I'm also very interested to explore, for instance, where AI will take us. Okay. I think there's a slippery mm. slope, but at the same time, this is a conversation that I think we should have. Like, what, what can you actually um, make of it? Yeah. yeah. I mean... There's a lot of fear around the concept of AI, and but it's been with us for about 20 years now and dictates a lot of stuff we already do. So I think we should maybe engage. engage. Yeah, exactly. I agree. I, I quite like your response to tools because you mentioned quite a few media and, medium, and mediums as tools. Um, and some of them, like the graphic novels, et cetera, is that to reach a wider audience potentially? Yeah, I mean, I guess, again, it was maybe more an intuitive thing. So it's the one I'm referring to in particular, which is the, the main 
uh, opus in that sense is the book on Ellen Gray, A House Under the Sun. Um, and, and that was a longer project. So it was first an opera potentially, then a movie, then, you know, like, and somehow it, it landed on the graphic novel also because uh, meeting the right people. So uh, Zoja Derveska, who is the, the illustrator, was instrumental to that. And then we went on um, producing two smaller um, graphic novel uh, architecture without extraction and new rules. And um, one of the things that emerged from uh, the Ellen Gray book was that uh, I, I like to make that joke somehow that this is the one, the only book I actually write, wrote that people actually read. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, if you, if you go on Amazon, you'll see reviews of like, you know, just people reading that book and just enjoying it or having, you know, things to say about it or like thinking it's messy or whatever. But um, people actually read graphic novels. And I think that there is really a powerful... Um, it's a powerful medium, I find. Um, so I'm also looking forward to explore that further. Um, you know, in a way, what what are people, what what touches people beyond the kind of academic publication, and uh, that, that's definitely one of uh, one of those medium. Mm, they're easy to digest. Yeah, yeah. Mm. and enjoyable. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. Um, Continuing with work, uh, can you describe the space that you work in on a regular basis? So I have two. Um, I have a shared uh, atelier space in Zurich, which is uh, shared with 25 people. It's it's not a kind of uh, workout kind of environment. It's a very creative, it's a mix of, um, you know, people, graphic designers, but also people working um, on paintings or photography. So it's a, it's a big, big mix. Mm. Um, we have a cat. Uh, we discuss once a month how is the organization going. So it's a very, I mean, it's a community uh, with ups and downs. Sometimes people <laughs> annoy you, um, <laughs> but that's living with humans. Yeah. <laughs> and then I have another space which is much more uh, institutional in my office in um, the Swiss Institute of Technology in Lausanne. Uh, which turns out to be an incredibly hostile place at right. the moment. So I'm hoping for this to change. Uh, but it's kind of, uh, it's interesting how specialities also reveal um, power structures. Like I'm, I had a conflict about the floor that I removed. I, you know, we have questions about what kind of furniture are you actually allowed to have in there? Um, you know, like, and then there's a discussion about who gets which spaces, you know, like, I think it's, it's, there is something about space and it's kind of territorialities that, uh, that reveals much more than what one would assume. So in that case, that one is also quite, um, it's, it's a contentious space at the moment. I mean, the, the office itself is quite nice, um, but uh, where it stands and also how it's been, uh, potentially a, a space of conflicts or of friction reveals tons about um, yeah institutional environments. It's quite telling that you describe both the spaces about negotiation, conflict, <laughs> uh, rather than materiality, light, etc. True. Yeah. Um, yeah, the one in Zurich is not has not a very good light, and there are like parking there are cars in front of the windows. It's not fantastic, but it's. Uh, it's very kind of, um, it's very productive. And the one in, uh, in Lausanne is actually, has a lot of lights. I mean, it's a very bright space. It's, right. it's actually a nice office yeah. per se, but it's true that I, I don't actually want to go into materialities because right. that's where the conflict lays. <laughs> <laughs> so I will avoid that. Right. Fair <laughs> enough. Um, and question number 13, uh, is there an app or application that you can't live without at the moment? 
for in reference to your work? I guess, you know, the most uh, banal is uh, probably WhatsApp because right. so much of my work conversations happens there and also with my family. And so, yeah, it's kind of, it's the most, uh, it's very, very banal. I also like CoStar, but that's not related to work. Okay. <laughs> you can talk about CoStar. That's okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's not about product, product placement. Uh, CoStar is a sassy uh, astrology app, okay. which will just like send you... Uh, a, a note on how you're doing today okay and uh, I, I just give you an example I think it's very telling um, I think a couple of weeks ago it said something like you used to be better <laughs> <laughs> and I was like excuse me right. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's it can, it can, that's why I'm saying it's sassy so right. it, can, it can be fun it, it's, it can be also touching so right. it's nice just a kind of a did you uh, feel yourself motivated after receiving i was that. pissed yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i was like excuse me <laughs> who are you i'm gonna uninstall <laughs> i have to i have to download that one uh final one for this number 14 is there one technological device if, um, that you could invent what would it be um so i used to refer to that as a superpower rather than a technological device but in the meantime i guess those things have merged right that's so, correct yeah um I always, I was always interested in a kind of instant language um, machine. So in a way, something that would just translate everyone's language. So you could speak anyone's language and you could understand anyone's language uh, instantly. I thought that would have, that would be an incredible. That, that is, that would be amazing. I mean, it's actually. not Google Translate, right? Because no, no. it's like, and also, I mean, something that would be able to basically give you the the knowledge of the language that you speak yeah. or that you don't speak, you know, like there, because culturally there are things that are not really translatable. So I think something that would allow you to have all the nuances that come with the language would be incredible. It, it seems like maybe AI could, you could think? solve this. I don't know. Yeah. Possibly. Well, that would be something really useful. Yeah, it would then. be. <laughs> and we could all communicate much better, which I think yeah. would solve a lot of problems. Indeed. Um, we're going to shift now to some questions about, uh, revolving around architecture in the built environment. Number 15, uh, where do you live now? So I currently live in Zurich. Mm -hmm. And number 16, is there one hidden uh, building or space within Zurich that you would recommend to visit, something maybe unknown? Yeah, the water tanks. Ah. Hmm. They're fantastic. There is also an, an incredible device, which is not technological, which I think is uh, worth mentioning. Um, it's something... So in order to control the quality of the water there are fish fishes oh. in a kind of in one of the filtering places so if anything goes wrong with these fishes there's kind of an alarm system that says you know something's right. wrong with the water wow so it's kind of a bio device right i think that's fascinating and yeah. you can visit these yeah you have to register i think right. but you can you can yeah and can you see the fish uh yeah yeah oh. yeah of course right. oh it's nice that there's still water tanks. A lot of cities, they've renovated them into flats. I think they're quite new. Like, I mean, okay. not new, new, but they're like, I think they're from the 60s. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, number 17. Uh, what, what is your, if there is a building, let's say, that is inspiring you at the moment or that you would like to discuss a um, piece of architecture uh, that's sort of impacting your work at the moment? I mean, I don't know how much impact it has, but I think that it's really worth mentioning is um, the Mause Bunker in Berlin, which is a kind of incredible, it's a former laboratory kind of uh, university space and it looks 
really peculiar. And it has just been listed, okay. um, I think, yesterday, something like that. So very recently. And I think what's so interesting about this is that, so first of all, it's the result of a campaign. So a lot of people kind of uh, decided, you know, like, what do we think as architects is valuable, but what do other people think is not? So it's con typically considered to be a rather a brutalist, ugly building, but it's really very special. Um, and then I think that it allows us to talk about something which for me is really important is that in the end, everything is heritage. If we have a conversation about the built environment and it's kind of gray energy and, you know, carbon, um, carbon content, then we should not, ha I mean, everything should be listed ultimately, I guess that, that, that would be the, that would be the kind of commentary on that. And that's why I think it's, it's an interesting building to talk about these things. I mean, heritage isn't just about sort of beautiful architecture. They're about frozen moments in, in history as well that tell tell stories about sort of the built environment, our culture, politics, et cetera. So, yeah, I, I think too often we value beauty exactly. or what's understood as beauty. And that's than, also completely subjective. Like exactly. Who, something that's beautiful for you know, educated elites is uh, is not for others and the other around. So, you know, something that we would consider to be uh, an amazing building because of its architecture or its architect or its materiality or its functions is, you know, ultimately maybe it really boils down to the fact that it has like embodied carbon. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yes. Um, number 18, uh, if you could visit one piece of architecture that no longer exists, what would it be? It would be the Safa Tower because um, that's so that that was part of this exhibition, uh, I think 1954 in uh, Zurich, where um, basically it was about women's work. So there is a kind of I, I don't think it has been repeated since then. I think there were two of these shows, um, and th there's a building, a tower um, by uh, by a female architect whose name, of course, escaped me now. Uh, but it's an incredible work. And I think, you know, when you see the pictures, you're like, wow, why is not been, why hasn't that been kind of kept or like remounted or like, I don't know, like the kind of the discussion room um, exhibitions. But um, it, I think the whole fair was anyway an incredible show. And uh, that tower is a, kind of a, a really amazing um, architecture piece. So would would be really incredible to be able to go up there. Was it set in any context or is it? Um, yes, it's on the. It was on the lakeside, okay. uh, on on this kind of islands that they use for shows usually, okay. and um, so it was on the you know kind of a very prominent location in the city, and it was in this kind of um, part of this fair about the role of women in um, in as productive workforce right. basically. Sounds very interesting. I have to uh, have to look it up. Safa. 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 Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, number uh, 19, um, we're going to take a trip around the world. Um, and so the question is, if you have one vehicle um, or piece of transportation that you could travel around the world in, what would you choose? I will take the seagull of Bernal and Bianca. Okay. <laughs> Maybe explain. <laughs> I don't know. I was I was kind of thinking, you know, what, what are the really cool... Uh, transportation device and they don't need to be necessarily the ones that we are used to or that we actually use and I think that um, to to think about a kind of more um, unusual one uh, that also somehow speaks of possibilities of 
being together with non-humans right. in a kind of other relationship and then also being able to fly but not being in a machine, right. I think is incredible. And then it's a very competent pilot, right? Yes, <laughs> the best probably, yeah. <laughs> it's always, yeah, often I have the same image of just seeing the world from above. Right, it's, yeah. You know, it's yeah. quite peaceful. Yeah, you know. I mean, I think the road, I was also pondering upon like a bicycle or something like that, but it feels, yeah. it feels less safe also, I guess. Yeah, Maybe that's a mistake, yeah. but. You know, it's good to take risk. Um, all right, the, the conclusion of these um, questions about the built environment, um, number 20. Um, if you're thinking about building uh, a house or a piece of architecture, we were talking about materiality before. If there's one material that we should not build with or you think is quite uh, ugly that you despise, that you don't you don't want to use, what, what would you select or mm. suggest people not to use? I mean, I think ugly is kind of not that important i would say maybe right. it's more about it's um potentially it's carbon um it's production mode or it's uh life cycle mm. um so I, one of these material that i feel i'm very ambivalent about is epoxy okay um and and that's that's why I'm saying it's not about being ugly because epoxy is actually pretty amazing. Yeah, F like it looks great. You can give it any color you want. It's gonna make any surface look smooth. Right. So there is something very seducive about um, epoxy, yeah. but epoxy is basically oil. Yeah. <laughs> Plastic is highly toxic. Yeah. Uh, it's impossible to separate it from whatever surface you're pouring it over. It's going to be there when the sun will be a supernova. I mean, it's yeah. really one of these kind of extremely problematic material. And I think it, it re I mean, for me, it tackles the question of the architect kind of using materials to achieve a certain idea, mm -hmm. right? So uh, an aesthetic even. And in a way, I think that this is key to if we want to, if you think, if we think about shifting paradigms on how we deal with the world, that that is that is something that we'll probably have to change. So in a way, uh, yeah, epoxy is not gonna it's not gonna fly. You yeah. know, like you you probably shouldn't be using epoxy. I mean, some people still use it. I, I'm wondering if the floor on which we are today is <laughs> probably, probably <yeah>. epoxy. <laughs> So I mean, it's kind of um, it's it's a it's a very uh, it's it's a material that embodies so much of what we do as architect, which is ultimately mold, shape, matter to our desires, mm. um, regardless of their implications in terms of ecological, social damage, and also what it means in terms of temporalities, like who's going to inherit the choices that we make mm. in our projects. I mean, you mentioned ugly not being important term and we talked about sort of beauty you mentioned aesthetics i mean the architect has always been geared towards making things beautiful selecting materials from faraway places um and that as you say that sort of mindset has to shift quite substantially um because actually maybe ugly is okay mm -hmm. um yeah if it's good for and, and who says what is ugly i mean there exactly. is this kind of subversive discussion there yeah. of course yeah, exactly yeah, yeah. All right, we're going to talk about some cultural questions or maybe questions more about uh, what you do outside of work. Um, so you mentioned um, 
that you live in Zurich. So question number one, uh, if there was one restaurant uh, that you would recommend for people coming to Zurich, um, what would it be? I'm not sure about recommend. I would just say the ones I like to go to. That's fine, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like the Deli House, which is uh, close to my office and is a very, um, let's say, simple Indian place. Okay. Uh, with very kind of decent people and wonderful food. Nice. Nothing fancy. Right. But, you know, homey. Homey. Yeah. Very nice. Question 22. Um, what do you t consider to be your perfect meal? It doesn't have to be around food. It could be location, environment. I think uh, an, a nice home cook meal with friends is pretty, is as good as it gets, yeah. I would say. Yeah, probably most relaxing. Yeah, and, and it's very kind of, um, one, one would feel safe yes. somehow around that. Yeah, I much prefer that than to, to going out to a restaurant. Uh, question number 23, what was the last cultural event uh, that you attended, a film, um, gallery, exhibit? Um, the Venice Biennale. Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> and, and was there something, an exhibit that stood out to you? I mean, the whole kind of Arsenale show is historic. Right. You know, I think it's a groundbreaking moment. And uh, it, it was very interesting to, for instance, um, hear depending on which spaces you are finding yourself, the reactions about that. Okay. Um, whenever you move away from, say, more diverse crowds, you would hear people be like, oh, you know, but there's no architecture or, you know, I mean, it's, 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 and, and then I was just like, oh, there, or some, or there would be also people saying, well, uh, we, we know all of that. And I would be like, I don't think so. Cause you know, like the spaces I operate in these conversations are not happening. Right. So I would object. I think it's a really, um, I mean, it's a really fantastic show. I think it's, um, it really, uh, tackled so many of the urgencies of today and it's, uh, it's also the works are beautiful. So I would, uh, I would highly recommend, I mean, in particular the, the main, um, arsenal, um, part was very enticing and beautiful. I mean, if it's generating those kinds of discussions and conversations and maybe tensions, I mean, then, then it's achieving. Yeah. Something. I mean, I think it's, a, it's, a, it's definitely an addition people will remember unlike mm -hmm. previous ones, which I forgot. Right. I mean, too often I think work doesn't generate that conversations in contemporary sort of design. Um, so it's important that there's works like that. Absolutely. Um, continuing with media, if there was one uh, film that you could inhabit, which would you choose? I think My Neighbor Totoro would be fantastic. Okay. I would like to be in there. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's quite enticing. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, question number 25. Is there a television show you're currently watching um, that you are enjoying or one in the past that... Yeah, that's incredibly embarrassing. <laughs> um I guess because TV shows are always so, um, you know, uh, yeah, embarrassing is yeah, the term I'm looking yeah, for. <laughs> yeah. So I confess, I have like two, um, there are two types of TV shows that I enjoy. One is uh, high school TV shows. So those mm -hmm. are great. Uh, Never Have I Ever, Freaks and Geeks, yeah. um, you know, My So-Called Life, like all these kind of uh, Wonder, high school. Wonder Years? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Wonder Years, a bit, mm. in, almost too corny. Too almost. corny, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. No. I, I, the ones that are more edgy are always okay. better. I mean, not that Never Have I Ever is edgy, but right. it, it has a kind of, it's also groundbreaking in many ways. Yeah. So, 
I really enjoy those, and also I'm I I, I like a good legal drama. Okay. Uh, until I get bored, right. so I didn't watch all the Suits. Um, right. I currently rewatching the Good Fight. Okay. You know, like I watch all of the Good Wife. You know, like kind of like this kind of good legal drama can be, can be, um, yeah, good good go to like may I, like putting my brain aside and just like enjoying it. Yeah. Did you ever have any? Uh thoughts of being a lawyer a lawyer yeah actually that's interesting because so much of my work currently revolves around thinking about the law as a tool so right. i actually should have mentioned that in the tools i think that policy making and the law is actually an incredibly neglected aspect of architecture education i mean as an urban designer it's something we of course look look at a lot so when you think about strategies and tactics on how you would um, devise a, a project you actually think about these things um, so we've been looking with my students, for instance, at the legal instruments that exist around environmental law. Okay. So, for instance, um, the law that has given to the river in um, New Zealand uh, the right to be a person. So the oh. fact that you would, so the river is able to sue for damages. Um, wow. Yeah, I mean, I think that's just one example of the ways that we can think of the law as. Uh, a powerful kind of um, device. Um, of course, I mean, in my own work, I, I've initiated this uh, moratorium on new construction, which is an ongoing project. And uh, of course, a moratorium is also a legal device. So it's a suspension of building activity. It happens in a lot of places. This one is kind of calling for a global halt. Okay. Um, but yeah, so the law, yeah, I mean, I've never really considered being a lawyer, but I do think that law is something that we should um, be more either knowledgeable about or like have a, a better sense of like policy making for instance yeah. um, as something that's like and I think design can be used as policy making so not looking at policy as something that's just about writing uh, you know text about like legal text but using design as something that could potentially be then wired into law for instance I think would be I mean yeah a, a really interesting um, path and with, with the river this is quite fascinating did who obviously the river couldn't enact suing someone, but so who who would let's say have the rights for the river to to do that? So the river has um is represented by a committee okay. of uh, indigenous people, a member of the crown and of the governments that okay. basically acts on its behalf, and they can sue, and that, they do sue. Right, that's. It seems like quite groundbreaking, actually. Yeah, it's yeah. amazing. Yeah. And then there are also, I mean, there are other ones. Um, I think uh, Ecuador has a similar, has given uh, rights to nature. Okay. Um, and I think there are, there are kind of sets of precedents and uh, ongoing projects about giving rights to, I mean, in a way, using the tools that humans understand yeah. uh, and, and trying to empower the environment in another way. Yeah. So we're going to move a bit away from television and Somehow we went from television to law, which is quite nice. Um, but question number 26 um, to music. What was the first album that you purchased? Um, so that's going to date me. Uh, Nirvana. Never mind. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not that far off from that one as well. Um, uh, the I just read recently that the the baby on the cover of the album, the now man... A grown man has sued um, for, uh, I think, uh, sort of being um, uh, 
objectify forever. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I, I don't think he won, but um, it's a great album, though. Yeah. yeah. The artwork's not the best part. No, no. <laughs> the music is, is yeah. quite good. Yes. It is. Do you still listen to it? Oh, yeah, I do. Yeah. 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 Um, number 27. Uh, which musician do you secretly love but are embarrassed to admit? Paris Hilton. Okay. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> <laughs> we'll move on, yes. Um, and sticking with music for the final question, number 28. Um, what what album do you currently enjoy the most or do you put on, um, uh, uh, let's say, when you're working or when you want to get away from work? Mm, I mean, I, I think the thing with like using Spotify and things like that is that you don't really listen to music as it's albums true. anymore. Yeah. Um, so you listen to playlists and things. Uh, I use, um, at the moment, the, the most useful sounds, so useful as in productive, um, are instrumental ragas. Okay. Um, which I find extremely uh, productive to listen to as, as uh, music for okay. uh, writing or working or, or you know, kind of uh, um, even as a kind of concentrating help. Right. Yeah. Hmm. I'll have to try that. I need some concentration <laughs> lately. Yeah. Um, we're going to shift to a couple uh, questions revolving around politics. Um, currently, there's a lot of strikes going around the world. Uh, we have um, quite a few uh, currently with transportation, education in the UK. Um, but I know, also know in, in having a chat with you, the same is happening in, in France at the moment, um, centered around pensions. Um, and so just if we can maybe discuss um, uh, those happenings at mm -hmm. the moment. Yeah, I mean, this is a, a kind of um, watershed moment for, I think, the, the welfare state in France. Um, and the fact that the government has basically pushed beyond democratic a democratic means to, uh, let's say, overwritten, in fact, democracy to pass the law that would um, uh, extend the age of pension. So retirement is um, extended and also uh, scrapped the um, clauses that are related to um, the harshness of work. So how some professions would be allowed to retire earlier because they have um, very hard and laborious um employment forms um, and you know people have taken to the streets I mean in France has a strong culture of contestation uh, and you know we've we've ha we have a history of um, dealing get, getting away with our leaders right. in, in a violent way um, so I mean I, I think that this this should be taken incredibly serious and it feels like it's not um, I think there is also an interesting um, kind of let's say, a merging of issues happening. So people do connect very well the struggle between employment, work, the lack of safety, basically the dismantling of the welfare state and climate crisis. Um, and, and I think that this is incredibly uh, hopeful for the future in the sense that um, it, it might allow to overcome the kinds of separations that exist between, you know, the kind of what we call the bobo, uh, the kind of, let's say, bourgeois educated um, greens, so people who have a bicycle and who think the city should be car free, and the ones who are basically living in the suburbs of 
big agglomerations because that's the only place they can afford and they can only go to work with a car and then the car is being taxed, you know. So I think that there is, I mean, that was kind of the gilet jaune, yellow vest kind of um, uh, movement a, a few years back. And I think that with with the current movement, what's happening is that you can see that these two um, spectrum of the struggle are coming closer, mm -hmm. which uh, also bringing in uh, younger generations who have, you know, been educated, basically who just have climate anxiety as they should. Right. Uh, so there is also kind of an intergenerational awareness of um, the issues against basically the ruling uh, the government, basically. So I think uh, it's an incredibly interesting moment. Uh, and, and yeah, I look forward to see how that actually plays out. And these two different spectrums you, you mentioned, are they in conversation? Are they discussing, is there platforms for these conversations to take place so they can understand the dilemmas on both sides? Yeah, I think, I mean... The streets is actually a good place to start where people are actually able to suddenly see that they have common struggles and that they're like having a common enemy, which is not just not the government as kind of this absurd entity, but like the kind of neoliberal mindset that um, has destroyed so much of what the UK had, by right, the way. Right. Um, but also kind of is basically doing that, you know, with new laws, uh, deregulating uh, public housing or just like curbing basically um, pension rights, uh, also, you know, uh, re eliminating um, protections for precarious populations and, and all these uh, kind of appalling, let's say, politics that are, are currently happening. And, and most of the changes that, that um, citizens are protesting against are coming from President Macron, is that yeah. correct? Yeah, I mean, and, he, and be, the government. because he's, he has a mandate that he considered to be uh, legitimate, but in the end, we all know that people who, I mean, I voted for him because I didn't want to vote for, I mean, what was the other alternative was uh, to hand the country to fascists. Yes. So what was the choice really? Um, so of course, uh, there is a, there is a reading of this election as something that would give him the mandates to rule mm. in, in, and to follow his program. But that's not the case. I would say it's just that he was elected by default and he certainly should, um, I mean, what happened with the pension, um, strikes just shows that this is not like there's no mandate. Right. Well, hopefully, the discussions in the streets will will lead to better Let's better see. models. Yeah. Let's see. Um, question number thirty. Um, obviously, we discussed there's quite a lot of issues going on in the world. Um, if you could vanish one instantly, um, which would it be? Well, that's an easy one. I think hunger. Okay. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's all over the place. Yeah. Yes. I mean, my PhD was about a food system so I also have a, a good a pretty good reading of the political economy of um, food systems like or their commodities let's say that uh, that that uh, dictate so much of also um, how people get access to nourishment and so a, a lot of these things are also designed um, so that's that's so it, it not even something that is magical but that that can be dismantled in in that sense the the um, discrepancy in between the waste and the amount of food in some areas and countries. I mean, I'm American, obviously, and coming from the states and portions and the thing. And when you go to restaurants, the amount of waste and food that goes in the bin, um, and then seeing poverty and it's just 
it's quite it's unacceptable actually um uh, hopefully i don't know if there's any solution but no there are many solutions yeah. and all of these pets also by laws and right. things like that i mean there are lots of solutions also communities are also able to react but of course um, i mean the kind of let's say the systems mm. um are are uh, kind of overwhelming and they are dysfunctional yeah mm. lots of problems to solve um so we're gonna go to our final grouping of questions okay uh quick fire questions um question number 31 what's your favorite color red question number 32 uh which is your favorite season spring question number 33 do you have a guilty pleasure social smoking ah okay <laughs> 34 um what is your most prized possession my passport ah is it french yeah yes <laughs> Question number 35. Uh, what was your first experience of the AA? Wonderful. Yesterday. Okay. It's the first time you've been to the AA? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. All right. <laughs> question number 36, our final question. Um, can you describe the AA in one word? Quirky. Quirky. That's, I'm sure you get that a lot. We do. Yeah. <laughs> From the work we produce to the people that work here to, Absolutely. The, to the alumni to the alumni <laughs> yes and to the spaces we inhabit yeah yeah it's a it's a perfect word we embrace it actually yeah, yeah you have yeah, to yeah well thank you charlotte it's been enjoyable to hear about uh, your life and your background and uh and i hope you enjoyed the conversation yeah thank you for having me right. this was nice thank you thank you thanks for listening to this episode Air AA podcasts are developed, recorded, mixed and edited by the Architectural Association from our home on Bedford Square in central London. To find more episodes, view the show notes and explore other Air AA series, visit air.aaschool.ac.uk.